Thus have I heard. Once the Blessed One was dwelling in Rajagriha at Vulture Peak Mountain, together with a great gathering of the Sangha of monks and a great gathering of the Sangha of Bodhisattvas. At that time, the Blessed One entered the Samadhi that expresses the Dharma called profound illumination. And at the same time, noble Avalokiteshvara, the Bodhisattva Mahasattva, while practicing profound Prajnaparamita, saw in this way. He saw the five skandhas to be empty of nature. Then through the power of the Buddha, Venerable Shariputra said to noble Avalokiteshvara, the Bodhisattva Mahasattva, how should a son or daughter of noble family train who wishes to practice the profound Prajna Paramita? Addressed in this way, noble Avalokiteshvara, the Bodhisattva Mahasattva, said to venerable Shariputra, Oh, Shariputra, a son or daughter of noble family who wishes to practice the profound Prajnaparamita should see in this way, seeing the five skandhas to be empty of nature. Form is emptiness. Emptiness also is form. Emptiness is no other than form. Form is no other than emptiness. In the same way, feeling perception, formation, and consciousness are emptiness. Thus, Shariputra, all dharmas are emptiness. There are no characteristics. There is no birth and no cessation. There is no impurity and no purity. There is no decrease and no increase. Therefore, Shariputra, in emptiness, there is no form, no feeling, no perception, no formation, no consciousness, no eye, no ear, no nose, no tongue, no body, no mind, no appearance, no sound, no smell, no taste, no touch, no dharmas, no eye datu up to no mind datu, no datu of dharmas, no mind consciousness datu, no ignorance, no end of ignorance up to no old age and death, no end of old age and death, no suffering, no origin of suffering, no cessation of suffering, no path, no wisdom, no attainment, and no non-attainment. Therefore, Shariputra, since the Bodhisattvas have no attainment, they abide by means of Prajna Paramita. Since there is no obscuration of mind, there is no fear. They transcend falsity and attain complete nirvana. All the Buddhas of the three times by means of Prajnaparamita fully awaken to unsurpassable, true, complete enlightenment. Therefore, the great mantra of Prajnaparamita, the mantra of great insight, the unsurpassed mantra, the unequaled mantra, the mantra that calms all suffering, should be known as truth, since there is no deception. The Prajnaparamita mantra is said in this way, Om Gate Gate Paragate Parasam Gate Bodhisvaha. 
the Shariputra, the Bodhisattva Mahasattva, should train in the profound Prajnaparamita. Then the Blessed One arose from that Samadhi and praised noble Avalokiteshvara, the Bodhisattva Mahasattva, saying, Good, good, O son of noble family, thus it is. O son of noble family, thus it is. One should practice the profound Prajnaparamita just as you have taught, and all the Tathagatas will rejoice. And when the Blessed One had said this, Venerable Shariputra and noble Avalokiteshvara, the Bodhisattva Mahasattva, that whole assembly in the world with its gods and humans, Asuras and Gandharvas rejoiced and praised the words of the Blessed One. Hello, Inspired Ones. Happy Scorpio New Moon. I don't know if happy is the word that I would use to describe this one, but uh, allow me to send you some blessings, many, many blessings as we keep shifting one day at a time, growing one day at a time. So the recording that uh, I just played prior to this introduction is a translation by the Nalanda Translation Committee of a a sutra, aka teaching, in the Buddhist tradition that is known as the Heart Sutra. And as I was meditating and writing about the astrology for the next couple of days, but specifically this new moon overnight, it just occurred to me that I was somehow unconsciously translating my version of the Heart Sutra. So I felt like it was really important to to share that as a Buddhist practitioner, as someone who feels like the Dharma is a very important part to my own personal path, and just giving you some new things to work with there. I am not a uh, Buddhist scholar <laughs> by any means. I can certainly direct you to some incredible teachers. I have a... Uh, I would, I would consider Ethan a dear friend, but Ethan Nickturn, who is a Buddhist teacher uh, on the East Coast, is constantly offering classes. Um, I'll throw a link in the bio to his fall section on just ongoing Buddhist discourse. Uh, shout out to Ethan for all of the good work that you do. I... So what I'm trying to say is that like I'm I'm not going to be like the smartest smarty pants when it comes to talking about the translation of this work. While I was living at Karma Choling in Vermont uh, 12 years ago, oh my goodness, time flies. I this was my favorite chant of all of the chants that we had to do, of all of the mantras that we performed. I had a couple favorites. This one certainly was the one I got the most excited about. And it's probably because of the no eye, no ear, no nose, no tongue, no body, no mind, no appearance, no sound, no smell, no taste, no touch, no dharmas, no eye datu, up to no mind datu, no datu of dharma, like all of that. I was like, fuck, yes. Perception, formation, consciousness, everything is emptiness. And it was the sadhana of Mahamudra, the sadhana of emptiness that like, that is what fucking hooked me. I was like, this is my shit. This is the truth. It's all obscure and weird and poetic. And like, this is what I am here for is trying to label 
the unlabelable. Uh, Ethan said uh, during a class on fearlessness many, many moons ago, when I asked him what emptiness meant, he said, it's like trying to put a sticky note on the sky with the label sky. Do you know how long it took me to figure that shit out? It took me a very, very long time to understand what he meant by that. Emptiness is one of the discourses in the Buddhist journey that has the most written about it, the most complexities in trying to brain something unbrainable. The concept of interdependence, that we are all one and that we are all interconnected entirely. And how important is that during a water element, Scorpio, new moon, with the moon, the sun, and Mars conjoined opposite Uranus and Taurus? Like, I'm telling you, (laughs) this is a Heart Sutra lunation. So I'm going to just try to break down a few thoughts from this, and then we'll move on our way into the more fun astrology stuff, because you're tuning in because I don't, I don't know why you tune in. I'm glad that you're here. Welcome to the Inspired Astrology Podcast. I'm Lauren K. Hickman. As ever, your servant of ranting at the moon, how every new and full moon. So welcome, welcome to the space. I hope that you are are okay right now, that you are in your body or in your experience to the best of your ability. Let's take a breath together. Right, just letting everything settle a little bit. I don't know where you're at, what you're doing. I'm a little bit jazzed up just um, because I'm writing. And I've also been teaching all weekend, which is such a pleasure. All right, so the Blessed One is referring to the Buddha, right? Like the mirror of our greatest version of consciousness, right? The, the, the enlightened version, the person himself, Siddhartha, like the original OG Buddha is who we're talking about with the Blessed One. Raja Griha, that's a place. Raja Griha, I probably said it a little weird. Vulture Peak Mountain. Okay, so imagine we're in India, right? So there's a gathering of monks, all dudes at this time. Um, And, you know, just a little Buddhist history here. Like, can you imagine if some dude came through town and was like, so sane, so incredibly sane, and just like telling it like it's it, like it is, and just being so honest. And a bunch of people were like, uh, whatever I want to do, uh, whatever that guy's doing, like, I'm going to Forrest Gump it, like he's running, I'm going to run with him, we don't know what's going to happen here, but I'm going to go. And like, entire towns, just dudes, all the dudes disappearing, because like, you know, that's what they could do. They could just leave the women folk with the children to deal with all the stuff. And like anybody who was able-bodied and young enough just took off and started following this guy around through his journeys, through place to place. And they're all just like wanting to be his student. Like locusts swarming from city to city with begging bowls right? Wearing only the clothes on their back, carrying only the belongings that they have, or maybe even just dis- discarding everything that they own, just wandering from place to place, 
following this dude around. Do you know how fucking messy that is? Can you imagine how messy that was 2,500 years ago and how chaotic that was? Oh my goodness. Like we read these, these texts and we think about these great humans and like, believe me, big fan, big fan of Guatama, right? But I'm, I'm just like, I have so many questions about how this went down and like where all of the, like the monastic teachings came from just to deal with all of these dudes that started following the historical Buddha around, right? From, from Deer Park and then on. All right. Anyway, so Sangha is your group of fierce companions. You probably have a Sangha. I hope that you have a crew that you can be just as confused and authentic and honest and weird together and that you can question reality, that you like can have discourse about very complicated things in life. That is what a Sangha is about. That could be like your yoga community, if you guys are tight-knit. It could be your crew of witches, whatever that looks like for you. Sangha, I think, is such a beautiful word about having fierce companions that are just as confused as you are, (laughs) taking refuge in whatever um, concepts that you cling to, right? The umbrellas that we, we feel hold up the sky. So there's a group of monks and a gathering of bodhisattvas. Bodhisattvas being incredible teachers and servants to mankind who have so much sanity that they're just like, they're not even going to leave and like ascend or, or surpass nirvana because they are here to assist other beings and to help awake, awaken everyone around them. So they're all hanging out and the Buddha is like, in a state of consciousness and experiencing profound illumination. And then Guanyin or Avalokiteshvara, who is a bodhisattva of high order, right? Mahasattva is like a state, a state of like, you know, being awesome. <laughs> and Avalokiteshvara is like practicing Prajnaparamita, which means the perfection of wisdom or the transcendence of wisdom. And he is like, oh, like our senses are empty. And then this other dude is like, uh, what do you, what do you, what do you mean by that? And like, if you, so like, I have, I have a house, you know, I got to like take care of my family and stuff. But like, so, so tell me like whatever it is that you just figured out, can you tell me how to practice that in my life without you know, like ditching my family and like ditching my job. And like, I need to like, you know, have this thing, right? So when he says a son or daughter of noble family, right? This is not someone who's like abandoned their life. They're called a householder. And he's just like, how do you, how do you practice illumination? How do you practice like perfection of wisdom? And Avalokiteshvara is like, all right, like I will, I will tell you. I will tell you that you should see in a different way, but also don't see because seeing is one of the ways that are like, it's emptiness, right? But like what I'm asking you to do is just like consider this, that form is empty, but emptiness also is form. Boom, head exploding, right? Like just the statement, form is emptiness. Emptiness is also form. 
I think about this all the time that, um, did you ever read Bill Bryson's book, The History of Nearly Everything? Because he sort of nailed this concept. He was like, all right, imagine this. An atom, (laughs) which is like the basic matter of all existence, is more space than it is substance. So imagining an atom, it's like he, he described it as a cathedral and that like the, the amount of matter within that cathedral between like the center and the shell of the cathedral is like a pin drop at the, at the bottom of the cathedral. There is more space than there is stuff. And I cannot wrap my head around this, but I think about it a lot. So he says, emptiness is no other than form. Form is no other than emptiness. And in the same way, feeling, our feelings, our perceptions, the formations, which are like your mental, like constructs of reality and your consciousness are empty. All dharmas, all truth are empty. There are no characteristics like I don't, there's like, there's no thing there. Nothing exists is what he's saying here. There's no birth. There's no impurity, no purity, right? Those are just judgments. Those are values that we place on things is how we name stuff. There's no decrease, no increase. There's no more or less, right? Energy is neither created nor destroyed. It just changes forms. So Shariputra, who's like the dude who's asking us about this, like, there's no feeling, there's no perception, there's no formation, there's no consciousness, no eye, no ear, no nose, no tongue, no body, no mind. There's no appearance, there's no sound, there's no smell, no taste, no touch, no truths, no headspace, no mind space, no space of truths, there's no consciousness space, there's no ignorance, there's no end of ignorance, there's no old age and death, no end of old age and death, no suffering, right? You can go back and listen to the whole thing, right? I'm, I'm walking you through this because I think it's really important. Since the bodhisattvas have no attainment, they have, they're not searching for anything. There's no like result, there's no journey, there's no end point. They abide. The dude abides by the wisdom that there is no, there's nothing. There's just emptiness. So since there's no obscuration of mind, there's no fear. There's nothing to be afraid of. This mantra that calms all suffering, it should be known as truth because there's no deception There's no deception. God is not deceiving us. Reality is not deceiving us. It just is. Things just are. They're empty. Om gate gate para gate para sam gate bodhisvaha. To go beyond, beyond, so far beyond, utterly beyond, attaining enlightenment. So let it be. And it's good. Right? So that is the translation of the Heart Sutra. And sutras were ways to pass on information and texts. And we chanted this. And I tried to chant it, and it sounded real weird. Um, I think that chanting in English is important because if you don't understand the words, 
how do you know what you're saying or what you're feeling or what you're knowing? And, you know, when I, when I uh, use other words in other languages, I have to like translate them for myself or try to feel that feeling. And so goes all of these um, Dharma and Sanskrit and other, other terminologies, right? That we, sometimes you can't translate them and it's best to just leave them as the beautiful words that they are, the beautiful sounds that they are. So Scorpio season, we are obsessed with ourselves, this consciousness, this floating consciousness, these eyeballs floating in space, connected to a billion interdependent cells with all their mitochondria and their macrophages and platelets, all the liquids in our body, each molecule, each strand of calcium that builds our skeleton fabric. The tissues of our organs, the fascia, tendons, fingernails, skin cells regenerating. We are flakes of dust in the carpet. We are the wind in between tree leaves. You think you're so smart, but you're not. Because you think there is a unified version of you. I, as identity, I, as something to fight for. And it's only when we are sick that we start to think of the smaller bits of us. It's only when we break something, scratch something, bleed, that we remember that there are so many pieces that make up us, the concept of us. Maybe referring to ourselves as we, maybe we could heal so much of our separateness. When we acknowledge the interconnectedness, the interdependence of it all, we may stop being so lonely and we may start being more kind. We are so obsessed with ourselves and not in a good way. We're also not obsessed with ourselves in a bad way, not like bloated narcissists that think their farts don't stink, but in a way that we are isolated by our apparent emptiness, that we are so unworthy and that we are so awful, that our shame is so bad, that we are so embarrassed by our being, that we can think of nothing else but what suffering we feel, such sadness, such complicatedness. And oh, how we love to trauma bond over our war stories of our using days or the scars of surgeries or the survivor of catastrophes. When, when do we bond over joy? Do some of us do that? Is there is there value judgment in that? Are you uncool if you do that? You know, perhaps we can only accept others into our bruised crew if they have suffered how we have suffered. That they know the shadow as much as we believe we do. How does one bond over light? How does one bond and not be considered vapid or shallow or unimpressive? Why do we, why do we torture ourselves? Why is it cool or attractive to tear ourselves apart? 
What value is there in our scars? Is it healing? Is that, is that the beautiful thing that we seek to connect over? Is it the power of human resiliency that makes our hearts shine? Is it the ferocious leap over obstacles that we find so powerful, interesting? The complexity, the intensity that makes us feel alive. What, what power is there in peace? What if everything were still? Is that uninteresting? What, what power is there when everyone has everything they need? What power is there in simplicity? When we take away the bandages, the wounds, the scars, when we take away the body, when we take away the skin, the eyes, the nose, the face, the voice, no ears, no eyes, no tongue, no nose, no smell, no sensation. How would pure consciousness without the obscuration of this reality, experience the application of labels such as joy or such as suffering. And that is your new moon report for the Scorpio new moon by Lauren K. Hickman. The Heart Sutra is known as the destroyer of all suffering. And when we think about the Scorpio and Taurus axis of the season, Right. We, we talked some about that this past episode, the you know, Taurus, the simplicity of spring, the newness, the simplicity, everything's just fresh, right? The winter is over. It's about to start getting easy again, right? Just taking in the nourishment, taking in the green, everything that's like popping up from the earth. And everything in, in Scorpio is like just complex. It's complicated. It's a lot of, you know, it's dark out. We got to think about stuff. Why, why life? Why, why anything, right? It gets super fucking existential this time of year. Gosh. And if you're born with a Scorpio stellium like myself, it always feels a little bit complicated. It always feels a little bit intense. If you're a Scorpio rising, if you're a Scorpio sun, if you're a Scorpio moon, right? Maybe you totally love to shred yourself and to test your own metal, right? To tear yourself apart and glue it all back together again. We can see how strong we are. We can see how resilient we are. And the the scorpion is associated with Scorpio because of its resiliency. It can live in ice it can live in hot burning deserts it can it is it is so strong and so resilient and i think that's why humans are fascinated with them they're terrifying strong little creatures that are quite intense and ready to strike that doesn't mean you need to Scorpio has three levels to it. We, we have the scorpion, the land creature. We have Scorpio that turns into the eagle with its perspective, landing and seeing above, seeing the big picture, right? Taking flight. And then we have the phoenix, the ultimate version of Scorpio, the energy of burning oneself up and being reborn, 
But for what purpose, right? Is it for sacrifice? There's a lot of stories about the phoenix and that energy of, of burning oneself up and the, the, the wakefulness that comes from that and seeing something burn up and then return, be reborn new. Transformation is the, the word I would associate with Scorpio. And I, I think that my meditation here about the, the concepts of suffering and why we feel the need to suffer to experience life, it's a, it's a conundrum. You know, even in an astrology chart, if we, if we only have trines, often it's like very, like things are too easy. You're not really stressed or pressured, right? Just kind of like a slight push, like, hey, like you want this? And friction is where we get interesting things happen. When there's tension, there's growth. And a, and a Scorpio loves some tension, right? The Scorpio moon, Scorpio sun, all of it loves some good tension, and then we have Mars here. Oh, Mars and Scorpio conjunct the sun and the moon. And that just fires things up on a whole level of intensity. And there, there's this urgency that there has to be resolve or resolution or pushing towards change or the push towards transformation or something being different that we need to become, that we need to burn ourselves up. It's, it's painful energy is what it is. And it can be absolutely magical at the same time because maybe we're finally ready to give something up. We're just so fucking tired of dealing with our own stuff that it's, it's time to soften a bit. But with Uranus in opposition in the energy of Taurus, also retrograde, uh, that's at 21 degree arc minutes of Taurus And the sun and moon are at 20 degrees, 44 arc minutes of, um, of Scorpio. I think I said that right, guys. I'm a little tired. I've been talking a lot this weekend. I want to know what Uranus and Taurus means. I want to know because any astrologer who tells you that they know the big picture, there's like a billion different interpretations for this. Sometimes I think that it's about climate change. Sometimes I think it's about labor rights. Sometimes I think it's about food. Sometimes, you know, it it shifts, right? Um, What if we had a different perspective about the body, about the human body, right? Taurus, (laughs) the body, Uranus, perspective, new visions, new understandings. Right? Maybe we'll have some medical breakthroughs this new moon. I'd love that. I'd love some new information. I'd love to know that we're like a hologram or something. <laughs> I think that's already been proven. But uh, what, if, what if Uranus and Taurus is about like, what if, what if things were simple? Wouldn't that be good? Could that be a good thing if everybody had enough food and enough space and enough shelter and enough stuff and they felt pretty enough and loved enough that it that we don't have to have it all complicated and like warlike and like fighting over things and making all this drama. Scorpio loves some drama, let's be honest here. Because tension. But tension and drama are two different things. If we look this up from a literary standpoint, they are two different things. 
I just crack myself up. Like the things that I hear over the course of a week and the things that I feel over the course of the week prior to a lunation, it's like, oh, it's all there. And I just have to kind of thread it together in this manifesto. Um, thank you for listening. Thanks for listening to my manifesto. Oh, I hope you're okay. I hope that you're okay. I trust that you're okay. I hope that you can be patient with whatever is scarring you from the inside, whatever little monsters are crawling from the inside of your skull or your tummy, and that you can just sit with some of the discomfort and that you can trust that things are going to change because they do. Scorpio will always promise you that things are going to change. Everything's in its place because it's time for the earth to rest. It's winter in the Northern Hemisphere. It's time for things to rest, including you, including you. So when we think about Scorpio and the concepts of death, right, we just passed over Halloween and the cross-quarter death, the truth of old age, sickness, and death. The trees teach us that every year, that there is a time, there is a season, and theirs is an annular cycle. It's an annual yearly release, at least where I live, right? Everything has its cycles. Our skin sheds like once a month. (laughs) Younger people, apparently, their skin sheds more frequently. (laughs) As we age, that process slows down. We don't, we stop regenerating as quickly. And that's just part of the cycle. There's so many activations going on with this lunation. I mean, I'm looking at, uh, you know, Libra, Venus, right? Libra, Libra, Venus. Venus just ingressed into Libra in the past week. It's already at five degrees and it is contacting Mercury at four degrees Sagittarius. I think um, because where I'm at in Milwaukee, the ascendant for this chart at uh, 3:37 a.m. is in Libra, so it's it's really easy for me to kind of turn my turn my eyes towards Libra and Venus. Uh, you know what I mean, Venus and Libra. And thinking thinking about Mercury and Sagittarius, right? We're kind of in that that window, right? The 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 space of all of the personal planets being in this window from Libra to Sagittarius makes me think a lot about resolution. And often we get really uncomfortable without resolution, that we need things to make sense. We need closure. We need the end of a tale to happen. We need an understanding. We need closure. Libra Venus especially needs closure. I think that Scorpio tends to respect closure, uh, especially when the truth comes out and it will keep grabbing and digging and digging and digging for the truth until it is absolutely uncovered. So there is this tenacity, it almost becomes that obsessiveness when we're looking for resolution because we want all of the answers. I think that because in Scorpio we have to confront the experience of impermanence 
it makes us question a lot of things. When you're a kid, let's imagine here that this is Taurus season. When you're a child, there's a sense of wonder in the simplicity of things. There's a sense of awe just in the smells that we experience. Like there's just certain um, joyousness that comes with the perceptions that we have the opportunity to, to be in a body and to be in this world. The pleasure garden that is our bodies. And Scorpio teaches us a lot more about like how we also suffer. Like as much as there is joy, there is just as much suffering and discomfort. So we have to start considering what's beyond, what is to go beyond, what is beyond this world, what is beyond the veil. And that's Sagittarius season for you, folks, right? Like think about the arrow, think about the centaur shooting the arrow into space, into wonder, into wisdom, into knowing, into, I don't know, I wonder what else is out there. Sagittarius is like the ultimate release. It is the end of the year before the closure of the December solstice, which represents the new moon of a of a annual year. An annual year. That's redundant. I apologize. I'm sorry, guys. I'm tired. <laughs> and I'll quit apologizing because that's not necessary here. Like all of it's worthy. I just don't have a lot of spoons to edit edit audio. (laughs) So Sagittarius is where we shoot our thoughts into space and we wonder where they're going to land and if they even do land and do we just abandon them? Who knows? We're just going to keep wandering. But Sagittarius is sort of entering the, the galactic consciousness state where we let go of our earthly bodies and we allow our consciousness to move into a new state of being a new vibration that fiery hope and faith that everything is going to work out that everything is in its right place it's interesting to see the the relationship between these three seasons how much change happens over such a short amount of time So I'll, leave, I'll just leave you with some of these, these, this food for thought, right? Balance and thinking about the difference between suffering and what, what would it be like to connect your consciousness with everything around you? What if everything was just okay? <laughs> John Lennon's song Imagine comes to mind, so I'll, I'll add that into the, to the music in this episode, but... Imagination is what Sagittarius season is going to bring to us. So I think that having some hope for what's ahead, right? I, I know that Uranus has a lot of negative connotations to it. I think that most of the astrology I've been hearing from other other interpreters out there is that there's going to be like a lot of wackiness because Uranus is intense and it's sort of like a shocking wake-up call. Does it have to be? That's the question, right? And I think I like to ask you more questions than to give you answers because I do not have them. I do not have the answers, my friends. But I know that Mars can teach us about what we want. And it's a very impatient energy, as is Uranus. So having a big enough perspective, looking at things from a different angle, if you have stuff going on in your life that just like is confounding to you, Step away, go get some space, 
have a Sammy, right? Like eat something, take a rest, take a walk, whatever it is that you're going to need to get the different viewpoint that you need. And that should offer you some clarity or at least some some viewpoint about what what is going on, what is causing you the suffering or discomfort that you're that you're vibing on, that you're crunching on, that you don't like. I think generally people don't like being uncomfortable for a long time. <laughs> I think that being uncomfortable is what pushes us towards uh, of uh, where we seek survival or safety or calm or sanity. Uh, I know that it took me ripping myself apart to start trying to get whole and trying to put myself back together again. I wanted things to be so complicated and so dramatic. I wanted to experience everything, you know, because maybe to be boring is like the worst, the worst transgression of all things. Uh, I think that I'm trying every year to get a little bit more boring. It's hard for me because I, I, uh, I watch myself from the lens of years. And I'm like, wow, you don't really sit still, do you? Even when you think that you're being boring, you are bouncing around (laughs) looking for the next task, the next fight, the next battle. And, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a Mars and Scorpio. If you, if you were wondering about that, we often look for the next thing that challenges us and resilience is really important in being in a human body. So there's, I just want to note that that these meditations about emptiness or these meditations about calm and about peace, it's not to say anything about righteousness or one is better than the other. You know, I think the complexities of reality and through the lens of astrology is understanding that there's a place for all of it. There's a place for tension and there's a place for softness. And I hope that you're giving yourself space in between whatever tensions are arising for you, right? I hope that this this podcast might be that quiet moment for you with little, you know, tense moments as I <laughs> kind of bring my mind to this, to this play place. So I'll sign off. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you get, get to your world, let you get to your lives. Uh, this is Lauren K. Hickman. Ursa Healing Arts. I uh, just, just finished a Reiki One training over the weekend with a really group, this really beautiful cohort of human beings. And it was, a, it was an interesting week because I had two people who were unable to attend and I had uh, set the course up for these two particular people. And one contracted COVID from a coworker and had to work with the resentment of that had to work with taking care of themselves, right? There can be a lot of suffering in that. Oh, like this terrible thing happened, right? So I hope that that they've grown through that. Uh, The other circumstance involved um, human tragedy. And I'm, I'm feeling a lot of things about grief this week. And I think some of the meditations that I've performed on, on Instagram, not to use the word perform, but shared, and had to perform because I'm literally talking to a camera <laughs> when, when you put yourself out on, on the intranet. Uh, grief teaches us so much. And maybe it gives us hope. I don't know. Every, everything is in its right place. So 
I'm so grateful for the class that I had this weekend. Um, if you'd like to reach out to me while I'm still in the Milwaukee area, I will be seeing clients until November 30th at a moving galaxy over on the east side, Farwell Avenue on the other side of Whole Foods. Um, you can check my schedule at ursaday.us. I will be continuing to see people online virtually as I'm in transit to my next temporary locus, my new home location uh, via cargo van for a while. Uh, I will always be offering Absentia Reiki, uh, which is an intuitive energy balancing session that's done in the same context and space and time as one of my in-person wave sessions. I also offer the the mirror. Uh, it's an astrology session. Uh, very, I would call it therapeutic if I wouldn't get in trouble for that. But that's the whole point of it is to do reflection work, to do processing, to ask good questions, to maybe get some advice if there's some insight or something from the outside that you might need to hear. That's a process, right? And uh, I, I love when I get the chance to work with people uh, more regularly. So thank you to all my patrons out there and to my regular clients that I get to see you, that I get to reflect with you. It's really, really magnificent. And don't worry, Milwaukee, I'll be back next year. Until next time, stay inspired.